0: Radio City Episode 211. John Grayson, and Rob Ross here with you. Rob, how's everything going in New On the first show of 2023. And we're
1: only a few weeks away from our sixth anniversary, if I'm not correct. If, right. I'm, if I'm correct, it, it, of doing this wonderful podcast that we're happy to bring back to you.
0: And happy new year to you.
1: Thank you very much. Um You know, New York is just uh, it's such a strange I feel such a disconnect from it. That's the short version of it. You know, nothing has improved. If anything, it is still, if not as bad as it was, it may be getting worse. I don't know if it's the crime factor of just the, the discomfort level of all of those of us who are born and raised New Yorkers who are still here. I, I just can't pinpoint it, but we are now after one full year of having had Adams as our mayor in probably as bad as, if not worse shape than when de Blasio left. You know, Adams has just ridden the coattails of one minute New York City is a sanctuary city, and the next minute he's crying that you know we're at a crisis point and can't afford to have any more uh, um, migrants brought in. Well, you've branded the city a sanctuary city. It's one or the other. You have to make that decision and 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 do something about it and do it fast because you're also now fighting for dare I say it your political life. But we also have an incredibly incompetent governor. <laughs> who wants to now take away? I don't know if you've heard this insane story of how she wants to take away and outlaw gas stoves. Yes. In New York.
0: Yeah. After after one, uh, yeah, I mean, there was one study that came out. And the funny thing that happened was this one study came out and said 13% of youth asthma cases are attributable to the gases, the off-gassing, and the uh, particulate matter that come out of gas stoves but the funny thing about that is that that's all anybody heard. And then they stopped because what that study then goes on to say right after that is that are not properly ventilated. That's what it said. It, it was not an indictment of gas stoves. It was an indictment of using gas stoves without proper ventilation. In other words, know how to use your shit and you'll be fine.
1: Well, once again, New York politicians I I did you know, New York politicians, that's all I need to say. (laughs) Exactly. It's frightening, it and and disturbing and just so just when you think what can they come up with next you shudder to think, you know, what could they come up with next? Because that that now lends the argument of it.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to put in a law that said all new construction, because the other thing about the gas stove thing is it doesn't affect anybody who already has one. They're not going to go ripping them out of people's houses. So the only thing that's affected is new construction. All you have to, you're in charge of the codes. You're the governor of the state of New York. If you want to put in a code that says all new construction has to have thus and such ventilation, if you have a gas stove. Fine, do that, and and nobody would have any problem with that whatsoever. But going off half-cocked based on reading half an article about something is idiotic.
1: Or in her case, she probably had somebody read it to her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that too. Um, and I hate to do this. I mean, here we are at the beginning of a brand new year and we're supposed to be all, you know, sweetness and light and looking forward to, you know, bigger and better things out of 2023. Which, by the way, 2022 set a pretty damn low bar. So it's not like we would have to do a lot better in order for this year to be better. Yeah,
1: You know, I, I have to say, I uh, you know, when I was writing up the blurb that, that you know, follows this... um that follows the podcast uh, link on on Popdos. All I could think was, you know, twenty twenty. I just kept it brief, and I said twenty twenty two was just kind of a a shock for both of us, you yeah. know, with with you know, twists and turns that we didn't personally expect. Which certainly, I'll, I'll say this much: I think it helped this show, and I'm using the word show in in quotation marks. It it helped this podcast exponentially by virtue of the fact that we both had some very serious, very real things happen to us. And it opened up the show to, I think a different kind of listening audience because for the first time we, you know, we put ourselves in this, which we try not to do for, for the obvious reason, because you know, that's we're here to entertain, but I think people appreciated it and embraced the show even more. And that means a lot under the negative circumstances. So, yeah, the hope is that this is a new year, that it would start with better better feelings, better, better vibes. But I think also over the last several years for all of us, we're smarter to go in with our eyes open and not be too... Oh yeah, because everybody did this between nineteen was it twenty nineteen and twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Oh, thank God that year's going to be over tomorrow. Everything's going to change. Not.
0: No. Yeah. You you got to make the change. So that's. I mean that said before I even get to where I was going initially with that. How is your health? Is there an update on that? Is everything okay? What's going on? Um, it's funny
1: because the last. I think I haven't heard actually the last show, which may have been recorded after my last visit to the uh, urologist is I do not have to go to see him until the beginning of April. Awesome. So that's pretty good. You know, the focus is on getting my PSA level down somehow, and it is not an easy task. And he told me this. Okay. He said, there are some things that you can do immediately that could try and help. Um, One of which, as we mentioned in episode 209 is, the lowering of stress, which is obviously a very difficult task at any hand, unless you're on some kind of medication, which I'm not. Yeah. Um, but I'm changing jobs at the beginning of February, which is you know great news. Um, but that is a different kind of stress. There's the stress of wrapping up things at the old job and then the stress of starting this new adventure, which hopefully will will be a good and positive thing. That's what I'm striving for. And I'm Excellent. making minor, you know, minor adjustments to my diet that I've, I made them already, but it, he said it takes a long time for, you know, your PSA level to go down and I'm still obviously going to be taking this, um, uh, Flomax for a while. So the hope is that it arrests any possibility of my prostate getting any bigger, you know, that's the whole point of FlowMax. it's to arrest it and stop the PSA levels from increasing and so on and so forth. And if that's the way it goes, great. It's a win-win no matter what. But I won't see him until April. I have to go one week one week before for a blood test, and then I go see him. So that's the latest on that front. And with the insurance, the health insurance thing, the the group that I was working with, beahero.org, um, they, because they were able to get the admittance letter from my urologist, who was the doctor that admitted me into the hospital, to UMR. And the fact that I have a bunch of letters from UMR saying, if you receive a bill from the hospital, do not pay. They feel it's best for the moment to just let it ride yeah. and let the fight between UMR and the hospital commence unto themselves. Because it seems that the hospital did not contact UMR and so on. So it's really a, a disconnect of communications between them and to, you know, make sure that I don't have to eventually have to pay for this. Even if it's a minimal amount of a quote copay for the whole year, I'm fine with doing that. But sure. let's not go into the realm of ten, twenty seven thousand dollars. <laughs> That's a completely different, you know, item. So we'll see what happens. Again, cautious. You know, let's let's I'm under their advisement, so let's go with that for now. Good deal. That's where we're at. So,
0: well, best of luck with all of it, and yeah, what UMR is saying, take that to heart because all that's going to do is raise your stress level anyway, and it's nothing you have to think about. So don't. <laughs>
1: exactly. So I'm I'm good with I'm good with that. Believe me.
0: had a boy. Well, as we were getting into, you know, everybody said, you know, let, let's hope this year is better. And the funny thing is, we usually end up the year. And this is true not just of us here. I mean, we talk about it all the time, unfortunately, because most of the the people that we grew up admiring either have gone or are going and, and shuffling off this mortal coil because, I mean, that's just the chronology of it all. But the year usually ends up with these retrospectives and looks back at 2022, and they always include the famous people and the noteworthies that have died during the course of that year. I think we could do 2023s for the entire year already. I know, within the first two weeks of this year. It's just been unbelievable. I mean, starting with... I don't even know where to start. I, I guess I mean, the the one that is going to punch you and me in the gut, and I'm sure it did, even though we weren't really aware that there was anything going on, and that may very well have been at his behest, was Jeff Beck, who we yeah. lost to, of all things, meningitis, yeah. Uh, yeah. bacterial meningitis that, that he caught over the Christmas break and was not able to beat it, was not able to recover from it, and just... I've said before, I said on my show on the radio, if there were a Mount Rushmore of our guitar gods, it's Clapton Beck, Page, Hendrix. That's, those are the four. And well, I'd take Hendrix out and I'll put me in there. But... <laughs> Fair enough. All right, then
1: you know what? Actually, I'd take Clapton out. And put me in there.
0: I'd be fine with that, too, because he's kind of he's kind of a dick.
1: Page, me and me. So that's um, (laughs) that's, excellent. Um, Oh, well, you know what? Okay, let me be fair. Put Townsend in there.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, So, I mean, it's just he's indescribable. And it's been almost comical to listen over the course of this week to everybody trying to put into words what Jeff Beck was. Well, good luck. You can't just for it's a fool's errand.
1: Jeff Beck was my one and only guitar hero in a world of, you know, Clapton, Page, Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen, Richie Blackmore, Alan Holdsworth, Ingve Malmsteen. I mean, you name them. The, the list is endless. Satch. Jeff Beck was, was my, yeah, that's right. Satriani forgot. Sorry. Uh, Steve Vai even. Yeah. The fact is Jeff Beck was always my one and only guitar hero. I mean, I don't have the right words, except to say that he was a hero. You know, he did things with that instrument well before anybody else did it and caught on to it. Um, I'm going to actually spin this, if you don't mind, into a very personal, you know, remembrance because Please. I think that this is where it matters. When I was starting high school, so this is 1979, September of 79, thereabouts, uh, we were in the kitchen of my house and. We had a radio in there on the oldie station, CBS FM, and this just indescribable sound came out, this kind of eastern-slash-maybe, you know, middle-eastern-sounding thing. I couldn't tell if it was a guitar riff, but it had this, you know, bouncy little, you know, walking bass line, and, you know, whoever was singing was just going... Hey, while the guitars were going, and I was like, "What is this?" And my parents both knew instantly and said to me, "Well, that's the Yardbirds." And and my mother in her infinite wisdom, of course, you know, n- n- keeping in mind, my parents were massive music fans and very knowledgeable about who came from bands and so on and so forth. My mother goes, you know, the band that gave us Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, and Eric Clapton. I was like, yeah, I know that. I know who like, they are, but yeah. Right. And my dad says, I think we had this record or have it somewhere. And it's called over, under, sideways down. I'm like, Where is it? I'm going into the living room. So I started looking through. There are many hundreds of 45s, couldn't find it. I went downstairs where I knew the older albums might be kept and couldn't find it anywhere. Now, that started two things. One, because it happened just as I had gotten my first guitar and was really into the Who, you know? But I knew I had to learn how to play that riff. That was just the most... I'm understating it, but truly when I say that was a life-changing moment, that might very well be the life-changing moment for me because it did two things. One, it made me want to, no, strike that, have to play that riff. I had to learn how to play like Jeff Beck. That was number one. And number two, I had to find that record. And that was what set me off on a 40 plus year trajectory as an obsessive record hunter to which you couldn't find records by the Yardbirds at that point. They were all long-deleted by Epic Records. We were a f- maybe three, four, five months later, down in, in Moorestown, New Jersey. We'd just come back from Philadelphia, stopped at the Moorstown Mall. There was a store there called We Three Records. I'm just rifling through, and it, you know, all of a sudden I see this thing on the British Columbia label called the Yardbirds. and That's the, the album that everybody refers to as Roger the Engineer. I knew of this album because of the... I think the book was called The Annual Rock Almanac, and it always had pictures of album covers, which is where I'd first seen the cover of The Piper at the Gates of Dawn and The Who Sellout. And so I'd seen you know, the the Yardbirds, the self-titled one and only British studio album on, on Columbia EMI. And I look at it, and I pull it out, and it's like, I'm looking at the track listing at Lost Women Over Under Sideways Down, and I shrieked, like I was being murdered, but I shrieked, and I was like, Ma! (laughs) <laughs> I found it And my mother comes walking over oh, $6.99 for an import is not a bad price Okay, we'll get that by, by by the way, side note, while I was in there I also found a 45 on DECA, US DECA By the Who that I wasn't familiar with Just yet, called Dr. Doctor Backed with, or I thought was backed with A song called Pictures of Lily Enough said Yeah. Um, by the way, I still have it I still have both But I got the album, I took it home and I started to learn the riff to over, under, sideways down, let alone learning the, the, trying to play as much of Jeff's boogie as I could. Because if that isn't the perfect blueprint of how to be a guitar player in several steps, forget it. And I learned how to play Nazar Blue, which is sung by Jeff Beck. And from there, I started to get, you know, really familiar with things like uh, Evil Hearted You and, and Heartful of Soul, which while they may not be difficult, there is a taste and a texture of how to play, and that was always the thing with Jeff Beck. It was always he played with taste and texture. You go and listen to Truth, the first solo album with the Jeff Beck Group, where you know he does. He has Bex Bolero and his acoustic version of Green Sleeves, and and you know Rock My Plimsoll and and his retake on shapes of things, which he did the the most devastating solo that no one could ever replicate. Yeah. Nobody. And he completely deconstructed it and made it this heavy boogie, you know, which was the perfect vehicle for Rod Stewart. Or if you go to Beckola, which is the second, um, the second Jeff Beck group album, plinth water down the drain or rice pudding or Spanish boots, just two solid masterpieces. You jump. I'm, I'm going to skip a couple of years. I'm going to skip over the second phase of the, the second Jeff Beck group and, and BBA. Talk about Blow by Blow and Wired, which I think is the are the two albums that introduced most of my friends to Jeff Beck. They had no knowledge of the Yardbirds when I tried to explain to them. They just knew those two records. But those two records saw Jeff Beck go from being a rock blues soul oriented guitar player to basically a jazz fusion visionary. And not surprisingly, he had people like Narada Michael Walden and Joe Zawinul, and I think Jacob Pastorius may have played with them. And, and and uh, I mean, come on. You had the cream of the crop. But he himself had said when he heard the Mahavishnu Orchestra, that's when he, quote, knew he was in trouble. <laughs>
0: so yeah, yeah.
1: if Jeff Beck is saying, you know, I'm in trouble, that, which has got to be one of the greatest misnomers of all time because he could do anything. Um Jeff Beck was Jeff Beck. He had his own style and his own mastery of that instrument. And he is the only one who's I bought every album of his right up to Flash which was the album that has uh, his version of people get ready with Rod Stewart singing which is just gorgeous yeah it's it I... really it's just such a, it's a, such a joyful moment and i hate to say it because i'm not a big fan of videos but it's such a, a wonderful video because it's the two of them reunited and you can see the joy in each other's faces in doing this
0: yeah well and it's also it was interesting reading his words about himself where he was always I won't say self-critical, but maybe self-aware about his perfectionism and about the fact that he was not the easiest guy in the world to work with, and that you know that, that he was always chasing something that he felt he could never find. and it just it's an interesting look inside the mind of a player. And in order to put that sort of thing into words, it was funny, the one thing that I saw, over the course of this week, that that almost summed it up was uh, I happened to be friends on Facebook with Chuck Roberts, who was a CNN headline news re- uh, anchor for many many years, and uh, under my tribute to Jeff Beck, he simply wrote, "Jeff Beck had his own vocabulary that, that uh, you know," the, and that sentence I read that and thought, "Yeah, that's exactly it." That he. Spoke a different language with that guitar than anybody else was able to hear or understand. And even into his latter day stuff, you talked about the fact that he could play in the rock realm, in the jazz fusion realm, uh, in anything that you gave him to write a solo for, it was going to be interesting and tasteful and beautiful. And it was going to make sense in that vocabulary that only he spoke. All the way through to, I mean, the one solo that I heard. That, that I immediately recognized as Beck uh, was in reggae when he took part in the Toots Hibbert. Tri- it wasn't really a tribute album, but it was the one where he brought in a bunch of guest stars. It's, the album is called True Love, and he brought in guest stars like Clapton and Bonnie Raitt and several others, Shaggy even, to perform on old uh, Toots and the Maytals tracks. And the one that Jeff Beck played the solo on was 5446, was my number, which is one of my favorite songs of his. And that solo is swooping and weird and wonderful. And it's not terribly long, but it just is something that no one else would have interpreted. I mean, you listen to reggae, you put yourself in a certain box, in a certain mindset. Beck didn't. And he came in and did this amazing solo and then just kind of bowed out. (laughs) It was like, that's it. I did my thing. I'm done. And that thing was incredible.
1: Best way to really articulate it is just to suggest to for people to go out and find and watch Jeff Beck still on the run, which is a great entertaining documentary done right there with him, you know, telling his own story. You know, I think one of the best things about him that was his very self deprecating sense of humor and his he never took himself to be a quote guitar god. Yeah, you know, he didn't. He didn't have the pomposity. He wasn't. You know. Uh, one of the funniest things was about his his dismissal from the Yardbirds for being, quote, unreliable. And he was like, yeah, I was unreliable because, you know, maybe there was something good to watch on TV that night. Then he'd wait for like the, either the shock or the the laughter of the, the journalist. And he was like, you know, it was either watch TV at home or, you know, go play one of these crappy gigs. And he told a couple of, you know, com- stories that would make me uncomfortable if I was a touring musician at that point. But, you know. He'd put in how many years with the Yardbirds? What was it? A total of two years, easily 65 to 67. And yep. and
0: and then off to know. form the Jeff Beck group. And yeah. I mean, even the stuff that we haven't even touched on, the Beck, Bogart, and a piece period right. Was, right. Or, or, was wonderful.
1: Or the fact that he was originally plumped as a singer, you know, because his first single Hi-Ho Silver Lining is unfortunately a staple in a classic of British pop, which was a song that he immediately wrote off and dismissed. Um, but it was an enormous hit and he, and f- on the flip side of course was "Bex Bolero, which I think is still his greatest. His first was his greatest moment. I agree. You know, I mean, that's yeah. just a masterpiece of work. Um, and I always loved the in-joke of drums by you-know-who, because they could never credit Keith Moon for playing on it right. until but, later on.
0: But that was, I mean, not only were they good friends, that, that was his favorite drummer. And it was the, the drummer that he had so many incredible words to say about him.
1: What What's the Who doing with my drummer? Yeah, that exactly. Was his, that was, right. I
0: would think, one of the greatest lines ever. But at the same point, and not to interrupt, but the, I mean, you mentioned that connection with finding that album at the same time that you found the single by The Who, if you ask Jeff Beck who his guitar god was, it was 100
1: percent Pete Townsend. Yeah, because Townsend Townsend was a rhythm player more than anything. He wasn't a you know a, a soloist. Whereas Beck obviously was a soloist. But the thing is, Jeff Beck was in a five piece band. The Who were essentially a three piece with a singer. Yeah. You know, you had the Yardbirds who had. You watch those old live. Clips of the Yardbirds, what a great rhythm section that Jim McCarty on drums and Paul Samuel Smith on bass were. Chris Drea was a top notch, solid rhythm player. Keith Relf could play the harmonicas, you know, metal right off of it. You add Jeff Beck to to what he was doing. I mean, there's a clip of them on Hullabaloo, live, not mimed, doing I'm a Man. Jeff Beck just did something with that telecaster. No one. I don't think anybody ever saw <laughs> done on, t- on television before. And, it, you know, we could be here all day just doing a Jeff Beck tribute, frankly, yeah, but right. all I can say is when I saw that the news that he had died, I was on the ferry ride home and I felt like I was punched in the stomach and I got tears in my eyes. It was very, very hard to control the emotions because like I said, he was my, my one guitar hero and not one day later, after we got news of his passing and we're trying to digest it was the shocking news of Lisa Marie Presley's death. Same time as I was on the ferry ride home from, you know, when I found out about Jeff Beck, so too, I found out about Lisa Presley. Uh, What can you say? She had multiple heart attacks. Yeah. And she was 54. She was, she was a little older than her father when he passed. This is a woman who, from all accounts, was just a really lovely and sweet person who had a very difficult life. Um, And you get the mockery and and scorn of so many insensitive, just crass people who have to always put their two cents in about, well, she came from money. That's not the point about how you have a difficult life. Right. You know, I, I love how people can just be so anxious about these things. Okay, when when it happens to you, we'll we'll all say the same thing and see how you feel, you know.
0: Yeah, when your parents split when you're 4 or 5 and then you're molested by the by the man that your that your mother was dating when you're 9, I think that counts.
1: Yeah, or your father dies when you're when you're all of 9 years old, yeah. and, you know, and you know, it she'd been through hell and back, you know, she she'd fought successfully fought drug addiction only to wind up back on on drugs because she'd had surgery and the doctors very stupidly put her on, on, um, what do you call it? Opiates for, for the pain control. You have to be a complete incompetent and they should sue those doctors for that alone. You know, her son died by suicide. I mean, she's had a very bad several years. And it was said that, uh, when she was at the golden globes just the night before that, she looked very unwell and uneasy and needed to be helped and so on and so forth. And, you know, my heart goes out to her, her, first and foremost, her mother and her children and her family and her friends. You know, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah. I, you know, it's, there's just no way to not be so upended by that news, you know, that she's now with her father and her son again.
0: Absolutely. You know? And we'll be buried at Graceland, by the way, yeah. uh, which was the last of it. And not to get too much into this piece of it, it, it because it really doesn't make any difference, but we all heard the news that. Um, she had sold off her interest in Elvis Presley Enterprises years ago, but she still maintained ownership of Graceland, the right. property and the property, I believe the property adjacent across the street where the, mm-hmm. where the museums are. Yes. Um, and and so that will now be split between her twins and her other daughter, Riley Keough, the actress. Right. Um, so th- that's all fine. But the hundred million dollars, that she was left as as part of Elvis's original estate uh, and the money from selling off her interest in Elvis Presley Enterprises is gone. And I don't, I mean, I, I hate it because every time we hear about a celebrity like this, where a, a massive fortune has just vanished, we hear the same things. Well, it was poor business decisions and bad management. And that's exactly what they said about Lisa Marie my suspicion is that there is an organization that was probably responsible for at least a good portion of it. And I only say that because not only are they the most soul sucking institution on the face of the planet, they're also the most money grubbing and money sucking institution on the face of the earth. And that's the church of Scientology, which she was a member of for a long time and left in 20, I think 2014. So eight years ago, I want to know how much of that $100 million ended up in the pockets of that asshole David Miscavige. I've often wondered, you know,
1: not to get too far off on topic, but I wonder if it was ever decided whether or not Scientology is a legitimate religion or can they be audited by the
0: IRS? It was, and they won. Uh, so yes, they are considered a religion by the, Jesus. and they, they are untouchable by the Internal Revenue Service. Jesus. Who did they pay off? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, I mean, they had all the money in the world, uh, even at that moment. So they were able to fight that and win it. But um, yeah, either way, I'm the, the one thing I think about her life that I am the, the happiest about looking back is that she finally got it and she left. Even through losing her friendship with Isaac Hayes over it and, and all the things that went around that, because that's what Scientology does, she got out and good for her.
1: Right. And, and you know what? She made some pretty decent records too, especially yeah, her the first did. album was very, very good. Oh, so, her
0: voice is wonderful. Know,
1: never. You know, the thing is she never got, she was never going to get her due as her own person, as her own entity. Unfortunately, you just knew there was going to be the same thing happened to Julian Lennon and Sean Lennon and James McCartney, you know, Danny Harrison put out an album not under his own name. So it went under the radar, but you know, People can hear it and judge for themselves. They don't have to simply go, Oh, wait a minute, that's George's son. You oh, know? yeah.
0: well people did the same thing to uh to Bob Dylan's kid, to Jacob. Jacob, yeah. Uh, even though he was he didn't release the albums, he used the band name instead of his own name because he didn't want to trade off of the Dylan name. And all you ever heard on the radio was, and here's the new one from Bob Dylan's son. It's like with come his on, band. Really? No,
1: the band had a name. It wasn't Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers. It was right. just the Wallflowers. And That was it, exactly, but yeah, Lisa Marie Presley's death really just, you know, that it wasn't bad enough that we heard about, you know, Jeff Beck and hadn't had a chance to process
0: yeah oh well and and also gone at the same age at age fifty four, uh, is a kid that we all grew up, sort of, I mean thinking of as a brother, uh, even though, you know, after his initial run on TV, Adam Rich, who played Nicholas, the youngest son on eight is enough. After that, he really didn't do much of anything. Um, I mean, he fell victim to the same child star thing that so many others have before him. Is he couldn't break out of that and had some tremendous troubles later in life, went through drug problems and alcohol problems. And I mean, that's well trod ground. Um, uh, and gone at age 54 at his own hand. Um, uh,
1: Oh oh okay I did not know that.
0: And that's uh, yeah I in fact I maybe shouldn't have said that but uh yeah I, I have some information about that and and that's that's the consensus is that he was done. Um he was just he couldn't do it anymore. And I I don't know the ins and outs of the entirety of the struggles that he went through but just another one of those people that, that the you know show business God, they call it a grind, and there's a reason. It takes people and chews them up and spits them out. I don't know if you saw this. um, I I don't watch award shows, but I became aware of this, that the Golden Globes, which just happened over the last couple of days, or maybe maybe it was last weekend, um, that the kid who played short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Mm -hmm. um, he also went through that. And all I knew was, okay, child actor. And then we didn't see him again. But he was there at the Golden Globes and, you know, gave an acceptance speech that was very emotional. And it talked about a lot of that, about the fact that it's almost, it's a it, not almost, it is. It's a grief process that you go through thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And then when you're 15, it's gone. And you can't. And you spend. 30 years trying to get it back. I mean, it's heartrending, And you think about that with somebody who didn't go through the drug and alcohol problems and all of the other attendant difficulties that so many of them have dealt with. And just that part of it was enough to really take a good portion of this kid's life away. And it's easy to understand why somebody like Adam Rich would get to 54, see the road ahead of him and say, I don't want to. I don't want to walk that. I just don't want to do it. And as much as I would never advocate for taking one's own life, there are times when you just can't blame people.
1: No, I mean, look. If God forbid I had a terminal illness, don't even don't even try to dissuade me. Yeah. If I knew I was getting to that point of debilitation, forget it. I would I would indeed find a way to check out. Is as, as not pain free, but I guess. Gore free as possible. if yeah, you know there's a way to really phrase it properly. Uh, it's it's just such an ugly, ugly scenario, and it's it's such a sad thought that you know young actors and actresses just suffer constantly. you know, there's because unfortunately, it seems to me, and if I'm wrong, I'd rather be wrong, but it seems to me the majority that we hear of over the decades, certainly in our lifetime, Most of them did not have, you know, a normal, Okay, this is over. I can go on and have this kind of life. You know, you look at the little rascals, you look at a lot of the kids that were on TV in the 1960s and 70s, you know, they just did not they did not fare well.
0: Who would have guessed that out of the cast of different strokes, Todd Bridges would be the one that was still with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and
0: and, I mean, you know this because you were close to it, that I mean, how many people can we point to that the music industry chewed up and spat out by the side of the road and left to die? And it doesn't hold a candle to Hollywood. I mean, it's a long and storied path, but it does not hold a candle to the number of people that have just had their lives wrecked by a taste of stardom.
1: I'm going to venture a guess. And then maybe because the, the difference is that The music industry doesn't have that many kids in it, so to speak. I mean, you know, it's just young people who just get, you know, wide eyed and love the idea of the money and the, you know, the road and the, you know, the, the available libations that are placed in front of them. And, you know, they fall very easily because they're so, because they're not educated enough on how to steer clear of the pitfalls of this. Yeah. you know, I, 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 Hollywood is just a, a horrible, horrible place. And by the way, I don't know if you heard the news, but it, it came down just before you and I started recording. But Gina Lola Brigida also died. Yes, today
0: I did hear at that. The age
1: of, however, she was 95 years old. So let's keep perspective on that. You know, that's another... <laughs> But I mean, there you go. There's another legend that uh, I guess it's not newsworthy by virtue of the fact that there's no sensationalism behind it. She was 95 years old. Yep. The, most, it, it, the, the most that can be emphasized about her passing was that never mind the fact that she was one of the wor- world's most beautiful women, bar none. She ran for office in her 90s.
0: <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, right. On. That that is a fireball, uh, which again, what 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 else would anyone expect? And like so many stars of her day, was parodied by the Flintstones. Let's remember Lolo Brigida, because you know,
1: <laughs> and don't forget on Beanie and Cecil, which was great at the double entendre. You know, they had them sailing under Lolo Brigida, and then no bikini at all.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, but yeah, sad goodbyes and fond farewells to all of them. I mean, just again, it's, it's all, it's, we're only a couple of weeks into this year and already all of this has happened. It's crazy to try and keep track of. Uh, but as we get away from that and into some of the other things that are going on in the world, we actually can talk a little bit about football. Um, you can, J- I can. G- well, because <laughs> the, no, because
1: the Jets absolutely shot themselves in the foot repeatedly, starting with that loss against the Patriots. And it only got worse. They embarrassed themselves week after week, and they became the Jets of last year. Find a way to lose a game in the last three minutes. The Jets will do just that. And having Zach Wilson as their quarterback is obviously not the answer because of the way he threw the team under the bus after the the, the, uh, Patriots game. Forget it. Your history, kid, you made the biggest
0: faux pas of all. Yeah, he's gonna you be, didn't own it. He's gonna be playing for Washington next year. You wait.
1: <laughs> if they'll even have him, and
0: that's a fate worse than death. Uh, yeah, so I But you know, the Bills just got finished with their first playoff game, and of course, I mean everything that happened with Demar Hamlin and all of the emotion that was surrounding all of that. Oh my
1: God, that was just surreal. That's yeah. all. Yeah, I mean, it just because it, I tried to understand what
0: happened because it was just so so disjointed when it was being broadcast well and i i was sitting at a sports bar which i normally wouldn't be on a monday night but uh jen was out of town she went off to you know for new years to go visit with her sister and so i had some time on my hands and figured well i don't want to make my own wings so i'll just go sit at the sports bar and watch the game and when it happened it, it took a little while i mean it took a little while to get it all figured out and by the time that you saw, and now we know why, but by the time you saw players walking around on the field with tears streaming down their faces, and I mean, just clearly overwrought with what had gone on, it it was unclear still to the guys in the booth what was happening, but we all know now that what was going on at that moment is that not only had he suffered heart failure and was going through not only the The compressions of CPR on the field, but they actually used the 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 shocker they used the defibrillator on him on the field, and that's when you started to see those guys turn away in horror at what they were seeing. I mean, I couldn't even imagine kudos and props to every single one of them for forming that human wall around damar Hamlin so that nobody in the stadium and nobody on TV could get a clear shot of what was happening. Because, A, we didn't need to see that. And, B, it would have been a horrible violation of privacy to do that. It was so bad. It was one of the things that happens when you go into heart failure. And I could have gone my entire life without knowing this. Is that because of the way the heart works, Is it, blood starts to back up in your lungs. That's why they call it cardiopulmonary resuscitation. There is a pulmonary part of it as well blood starts to back up in your lungs and they become less efficient and they start filling up with fluid. And it got so bad with DeMar Hamlin that while they were giving him those chest compressions on the field, the, one of the EMTs was actively having to scoop blood out of his mouth. That's what, and and you think these are guys who are teammates and you know, the opposing team, but the NFL is a big family anyway that are watching all of this happen and for an hour, the NFL dithered on whether to keep that game going. And and I do not believe their horse shit for one minute about, oh, we never said there was five minutes until they started play again. Yes, you did own up to it.
1: Jesus. Now, just correct me. I heard that what happened was what caused this was he was hit in between heartbeats. Yes.
0: Is that the same thing that happened to that hockey player from the Blues? And there have been a couple of baseball players that it's happened to as well. It's a condition called commotio cordis, and uh, you hit it right. There is a particular time in the heartbeat where the the heart is controlled electrically, uh, like everything else. Just about everything else that goes on in your body, Um, and when when the heart is at a particular position in that beating process between the systolic and the diastolic uh, portion of the beat, there's a, a point where that electricity is kind of um, enmeshed across the the casing of the heart. And if you impact the heart at that moment, you can cause effectively what is a short circuit in that electrical charge, and all of a sudden, it just the entire system goes dead. And that's what probably happened is that it was not a hard hit and it didn't need to be, but it was an impact in the exact wrong place at the exact wrong time. Now, the good part about that, the good news about that, and we just learned this over the past three or four days is that the bills while giving DeMar Hamlin, uh, you know, paying out his contract and everything else, uh, you know, not docking him any pay, which by league rules they should have, but they, they weren't about to do that in a million years would they have done that. Um, is that now they're talking about potentially having him back next year. I mean, it, it seemed insane at the time that such a thing would even be possible, but they're talking about a potentially, given his doctor's okay and everything else, getting him back into a rehab program with the team. And I can't imagine what it would be like to see him step out onto the field at Rich Stadium his first time after all of this.
1: Well, certainly uh, the one thing that I thought was the, the most important was almost in the aftermath of this, like it was a three or four days later. And, you know, he came out of the coma yep. because most people were saying he's not going to survive this, you know. And then right after that was, you know, he's cognizant, which mm-hmm. was even the greater news. No neurological damage. Fact, yeah. yeah. And never mind the fact of the surprise of him appearing on a, on a Zoom screen to talk to the team which I thought was really wonderful, you know, and I'm glad that it wasn't shared with anyone, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, to see all of that, I mean, it's, it's incredible that he's just alive if he never. And I, you know, I remember thinking at the time, if he never plays another down with the team, I don't care. He's alive. Right. He's That's alive. And, and he walked out of EC and not ECMC. He was a Buffalo general after he was transferred back to Buffalo. He walked out of the hospital two days after he got there, which and he's, he's fully
1: capable of, you know, functioning as a human being. He's yeah. not left, you know, in, 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 a, in a bad state. So thank God for that. Right.
0: So <laughs> we had a, a very strange weekend of football. Uh, we saw another, come back by the Jacksonville Jaguars that I'm still not sure. Cause I left that game to go watch the Sabres and the Predators for a little while while that was going on. Cause I figured, okay, yeah, San Diego's, it's not San Diego, Los Angeles has, know, has this in the bag. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're going to beat up on Jacksonville in the second half. Nope. They let them come back and, uh, I, we'll see what happens now. Jacksonville of course is going to play in Kansas city this weekend. So should be a big test for them. And the bills will have another big test when Cincinnati comes to town. And you talk about emotion. How about that? The fact that, yeah. that, you know, that it's game those two teams. Right. Yeah. And they're back together again, only this time in Buffalo. So yeah, I, I expect some tears to be shed pregame on that one as well.
1: Well, the thing is it was a really good weekend of football, say for the San Francisco, Seattle game. These were all very tight, very, you know, Yep. Almost nail biter games, the Cincinnati game last night. I thought, you know, Baltimore had it in the bag until that last minute fumble that oh. was just unbelievable. Yeah. Had, had the goal, forget it, to be run- I think I even jokingly said out loud, watch, I'll walk away. They'll fumble the ball and run it back for a touchdown. And <laughs> it's exactly what happened. So it's your
0: fault. <laughs> no, actually, I was,
1: I was hoping Cincinnati would beat. Uh, Beat the Cleveland Browns, because I, right. I still don't forgive, you know, franchises for abandoning their original posts.
0: You know that. Which we can't say about San Diego, because they actually started they in started Los Angeles. started
1: in Los Angeles, right. They really were the L.A. Chargers from the beginning. So um the Bills game also, that that could have slipped out of their fingers. Yeah. It really could have. It, it got a little, you know, iffy at moments. I really thought, you know, the, the Dolphins could pull themselves together. But OK, look, at least the Dolphins are on, on a growing they're, they're in that 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 period of growing, so at least they know that, that they could possibly make the playoffs again next
0: year. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I mean, in terms of relative health, it would not surprise me after this performance, not only in the playoffs, but in the last week of the season as well, to see that kid, Skylar Thompson, uh, end up getting the starting job, because how on earth can they stay with Tua, knowing how damaged and how fragile he is? How many concussions has he had? A five, I think. Now, including back to three, the phone conversation this year.
1: This is this is exactly what we were talking about yesterday when we had that phone conversation about Eric Lindros. You know, yes. like, why would the Rangers have been stupid enough to make the trade for him after seeing him play with the Philadelphia Flyers for so many years and getting concussed after concussed after concussed? It yep. just didn't make any sense. You know, was it to put seats? You know, put put people in the seats. Because that wasn't going to do it, and he wasn't going to get you to a Stanley Cup, let alone a Stanley Cup final. You know, some players just should not be in there, and the Dolphins would be remiss to bring him back,
0: personally speaking. That's yeah. just my opinion, but... Well, if anything, I mean, the fact that he had three concussions over the course of this year takes everything the NFL has said about CTE and their new commitment to player health and how, you know, they're going to take concussion protocol seriously and knocks it right out of the water. Exactly. I mean, it's all garbage.
1: Now, I will say this much, though. While you've had fun watching the NFL, talk about the thrill ride of a lifetime, one of the, if not the greatest football game I may have ever seen. Was on New Year's Eve in the the college football um, the college football game uh, between um, Ohio State and the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, to see who would go for the national championship. Yeah, the fact that it went down to the final minute and that Georgia pulled it out at the very last minute, right down to the final field goal, was just unbelievable. I mean, truly, what? You want to talk about a nail biter game. That was definitely it.
0: Oh yeah. You know? And a 42-41 game. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a low-scoring affair. It wasn't a 20 to 17 win or a 20 to 19 win. It it was 42 to 41. So it was an exciting game all the way along. There was plenty of scoring. And then uh i mean you know after georgia wins that one in very emotional fashion at the stroke
1: of midnight by the way is when that that final That's right. kick by ohio state was attempted and it went wide yep stroke of midnight new year's eve how very apt it, then three <laughs> days later yeah georgia th- dismantles
0: dcu <laughs> i mean it was just and the only one oh, that they, the only
1: point that they didn't score was the final uh, extra point when they when they scored the touchdown because he missed the field the field goal. Yeah.
0: What was the final 62 to seven or something? Idiotic. It was like 60,
1: that? 66 to seven,
0: 66 to seven. Yeah. In the
1: first period, in the first <laughs> quarter, I, I kid you not, you know, I thought it was going to be a tight game because, you know, TCU came right back after Georgia scored 10. And then after that, yep. it was another seven and another seven. I do I mean, they, they really, that was a massacre is what that was. Yeah. And they said that was the highest scoring uh, championship college game of all time. Not surprisingly. I really thought they were gonna jack it up to seventy two. I really <laughs> did. Just to
0: make sure. You gotta get that insurance touchdown in there. Yeah, blew uh,
1: the, the final point, so uh, you know, the extra point. <laughs> but my God, what a that, that game on New Year's Eve though, forget it.
0: Woo. Yeah, fun stuff. Well, and we've got a little hockey to talk about as well, because I mentioned you know, leaving the uh, the the uh, Los Angeles-Jacksonville game to go watch the Sabres and the Predators. My son called me, and he said, yeah, Buffalo's playing uh, in, in Nashville right now. They're going into the third, tied at three. And I thought, oh, okay, all right, well, this game's boring. I'll go over and watch my Sabres for a while. First of all, they were. are you familiar with what they've been doing with these, what do they call them, uh, alternate retro uniforms? a couple
1: of them i mean the rangers have one that i they go back to that uh, liberty crown head from the mid 90s that i yeah, never liked the never nyr liked right yeah don't like that at all and, and so i hope i hope the sabres didn't dig out the red uniform well they,
0: the, it it's funny cuz i had seen a game that they were playing um i don't even remember who they were playing but they were they played a game about a week before that, and they were in the black, red, white, and silver with the snorting buffalo on the front of it. <laughs> They're the alternate retros are that uniform, but in the white, blue, and gold of the, So it's the current colors on the old uniform. And I swear. I mean, they were in first of all, they were in the white on white version of that. And they look like they were all wearing pajamas. They look like they were getting ready for bed. <laughs> it was I really
1: hate these alternate jerseys. And uh,
0: it just it looks so ridiculous. It's more it really money. Does. That's all it is. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to see,
1: you know, the Gortons fishermen on the Islanders uniform. That's, what, <laughs> that's why they only lasted through like maybe two seasons. You know, people hated those Islanders uniforms.
0: I still want the the flaming skate back in Vancouver. That's all I want is the flaming skate.
1: Which one was that? Was that the the brown gold? Yes. Because there was nothing worse than that ugly uniform that you couldn't tell who the team was. It was just like a brown, you know, just a brown top and that was it. Right. Uh, or the old, uh, what was it, purple and gold of the Los Angeles the, Kings? The Yellow Kings, yeah. <laughs>
0: Jesus. Well, it's
1: better than the King vitamin version.
0: Also true, Yes. Uh, but yeah, it was the
1: most screwed up part is like all these alternate jerseys and you couldn't find graphics designers that could come up with something really cool. Oh, and I really, know. Really, you know, interesting looking. They're all so stupid. Whereas the Minnesota, the, the Rangers played the Minnesota wild last week and the wild were wearing the original colors of the Minnesota North stars that Kelly green and yeah, white green and gold. Yeah. But they had, you know, the
0: wild logo on it and it looked terrific. It worked really nicely. You know? I can see that going. Yeah, so uh, now was the logo the same colors as it normally is with the green trees and the red?
1: Right. right. Okay, yeah. The normal logo with the bear head.
0: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, okay, De- definitely. I can see that going really, really well. Uh, I'll have to check those out. But in terms of gameplay, I mean, the Sabres actually, and I hate to even say this, I'm biting my tongue as I say this. Might have something going. I don't know that they're going to be playoff caliber this year, even. But I think that they're 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 actually fun to watch. They're not the Jack Eichel show starring a bunch of used puck bags to use the line from Slapshot. We'll get back to Slapshot here in a minute too. Um, but they're you know they're not that iteration of the team anymore they actually have some direction and they actually have some talent too including a local kid and i love it whenever you can get somebody like the guy who scored that touchdown for cincinnati that we just talked about that ended the game effectively against he's Baltimore. A cincinnati local yeah he's, he's a local kid who grew up loving the bengals so uh this guy tuck uh, who's playing for buffalo is wearing maxima finneganov's old number 89 and he's great. I mean, he's he's a leader, he's a young guy, uh, and he's a naturally drafted Buffalo Sabre who grew up in Buffalo loving the Sabres during that cup run in 99-2000. So it, it's nice to see that somebody can put that together and and get in and play for his hometown team. I'm sure that means a lot to him as well.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. Thursday night we'll, we'll 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 keep on that theme because Thursday night I, I turned on what was left of the Rangers versus the Dallas Stars at Madison Square Garden with exactly 0.7 seconds left. Okay. Okay. 0.7 seconds left. Um Keandre Miller scores. 0.7 seconds to go. Okay. So the, the place erupts. I mean, how can you not? They go into overtime and in less than two minutes, the Rangers are just attacking the net. And you've got their top scorers. You know, you've got uh, Panarin, you've got um, Zibanejad, you've got Trocek in there. Adam Fox comes up from behind, stops, tries to take the shot, then takes the shot and scores the winning goal. Adam Fox, who happened to grow up, ta-da, in Long Island. Yeah. You know, he's a local kid. I don't know if he was an Islanders fan or a Rangers fan as a kid. That's the only thing I don't know. But he too is a local kid.
0: And he's a you know what, by the way,
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> even better. Is.
1: Yeah. So to have a local kid playing for the Rangers, and first of all, he's one of the the Rangers' true, you know, you know, younger superstars. I mean, he's established himself over the last three seasons. He's a great player, great ambassador for the team. You know your heart feels really good for these kids. You know, the Rangers yeah. have been semi interesting to say the least. They lost last night, one, nothing. Oh, sorry. Two to one to a very bad. And I do mean very bad Canadians team. So they need to stop and reevaluate because the way they played against Dallas and the way they came back and won in a shootout against Minnesota, there was no excuse to lose to a team like, like Montreal last night. Yeah. That's the thing.
0: You well, know? yeah, I mean, and and there's still plenty of time. I mean, we're just now uh, not beginning to think about approaching the halfway point in the season. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens after uh, after the All Star break and all of the rest of it. So, um, j- just portends good things. So at least we'll get some entertainment out of it. Um, that's anything going on in in baseball uh, during the off season? Well, yeah, I mean, the Mets saga of Carlos Correa.
1: I mean, that first of all. If the Mets would have signed him, it would have made me question Steve Cohen, who is the the new owner. He knew he's been there for over a year now, but uh, it would make me question his motives of wanting to clear out the 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 clubhouse of the, you know, the team cancers that had been there previously because Carlos Correa is not a very good teammate. Now, people may get very angry with me for saying this, but especially after reading a, a piece that I read last summer in Sports Illustrated, I think it was, about Jacob de Gram. I'm glad he's gone, too. You know, he wasn't a team guy. He was kind of a mean spirited bully to the new newer guys on the team and so on. And you know what? Good. Go away. Having said that, Carlos Correa and his and his agent of course Scott Boris played the Giants, they played the Mets and they wound up having, you know, because of the bad faith in which Boris dealt with the Mets, going back with his tail between his legs to the Minnesota Twins, which is where Correa had opted out of his 3-year deal after one season. So, they're trying to spin it where it was there in favor of them and they wanted to be in Minnesota all along whatever the case may be is the Mets really shored up the team right after Degrom split. He announced during the season he was opting out of his contract, so you knew he was gone. The guy hasn't pitched in three full seasons. You know, he made, made what eleven appearances last year. Immediately, the Mets went out and signed Justin Verlander, who came back from Tommy John surgery at the age of forty to not only win the Cy Young but to win the World Series. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good trade off, right there. Not bad. Not bad. Signed to this Jeff, Japanese phenom for five-year deal. Made some very nice little purchases here and there. They re-signed their own Brandon Nimmo, who is a homegrown Met, for a seven-year deal to remain in the outfield. You know, the Mets have made some very wise moves. So, uh, like everything else, I am cautiously optimistic for the next season. And they, they also did the smart thing and immediately avoided arbitration with Pete Alonso, who is ostensibly the team's captain. I mean, there's there's nobody else who could be. He's it. You know, he's been the leader of that clubhouse since he arrived in 2019. So,
0: yeah. Right. So
1: that's pretty much it for baseball in the offseason. Anything happening in the music? You know, the weirdest thing is that the answer is no. I it's been a little have, quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing new. You know, I've gotten a lot of submissions that. I'm just going to be blunt. A lot of it looks like retreads of things that I've seen or heard before. I don't see anything new or particular or original coming across my my desk and you know, at at what point can you have to stop writing about the same bands you've been writing about for now 10 full years? You know, unless you're going to do period pieces on something like the Beatles or the Who or Big Star or, or the Yardbirds or whatever. You know, Bands that you've reviewed time and time again, they're just getting older. And, you know, it just kind of gets to a point where I'm probably doing everybody a disservice writing about them again. <laughs> and well, it's been a really quiet time. Yeah. I mean, I haven't. I haven't gotten anything new since uh, since I got that revolver box set, which we talked about back on episode two hundred nine.
0: The one thing that I'm, I'm really excited about, and I'm hoping that he comes through on this this year, because it's been a little while since we've talked about Bob De Stefano. Uh, got a very nice note from him over Christmas into New Year's, just you know, kind of a year end wrap up of you know wishing everybody a happy New Year, and mentioned at the time that the new Blood Rush Hour album, which he's been talking about doing for six years now I think something along those lines has it been that long since the last album I don't know it's probably not quite but it's going to be close to that it's probably a good four or five years uh that you have to
1: think it's going to be three years this year since the pandemic yes so it is four
0: or five years you're right and he he said that he is going to do everything within his power to bring a new blood rush album out this year uh, in 2023. So still no word about what's going to be on that or what it's going to sound like or anything or any kind of a release date. But he at least made it known that, yes, that is still very much in the offing, that there will be a follow-up uh, to who, fo- who folds first. So very much looking forward to that. And you know, on that subject of retreads, um, something funny happened. We were watching football last night. And a commercial kept coming on. I I don't remember whose it was, but it was, I think it was a truck. I don't know, maybe a new Toyota truck, new Chevy truck, new whatever truck. And every time it came on, they they were playing this rock song in the background. And I kept thinking, who ripped off out on the tiles? Because it's exactly that. And then it kind of stops. It doesn't do the second half of it. But that repeated over and over again in exactly the same Jimmy Page-like tone. And it's a, apparently it's a band called the Rival Sons, and the song is called Pressure and Time. But I thought, OK, we've already been through Greta Van Fleet ripping off everything Led Zeppelin did. And, and we've already been through Oasis ripping off everything McCartney and Lennon ever did. And so do we really have to do this again and have another Led Zeppelin ripoff band? I'm told that they're not just that. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more because, I mean, it, it sounded okay. It's just that it sounded exactly like Out on the Tiles. So do something new. If you're going to be in rock, be yourself in rock. Don't try to be Jimmy Page.
1: Well, having said that, and I really do owe this show a full-on breakdown, musically speaking, of the new Populux album, our dear friend Rob Shapiro, uh, Uneasy Listening, which is an incredibly theatrical it's a concept album, I think. You know, not dissimilar in concept to the last album, which was done under very different circumstances. But this is a very theatrical album that deals with a lot of different personal subjects, and the presentation that he brought to live audiences was actually in the manner of, like, you have the the compare of the show. It's almost like cabaret. Okay, you know, you have. And no, I don't mean having Joel Gray come out, you know, in his little, <laughs> you know, singing "Money Makes the Go Hound," you know, none of that kind of stuff. But I mean, it, it's you've got the the host of the show, it, almost explaining the storyline, and then you have the whole thing acted out. And I would love to actually see this thing because this may be the first album that I am aware of in many years that is not just, you know, an audio piece, but it's something visual to 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 actually experience on the whole. So I'm going to get in touch with them and see if there's any any video footage of this in its entirety to really get the full gist of it. Excellent. I mean, here's somebody like, you know, much like Robert with um, all these Roberts. They're all so brilliant. You know, Robert with the blood rush hour. So too is Mr. Shapiro just comes up with one winner after the other. And he puts so much thought and heart and soul into this that you know, yes, I know I've been dragging my feet to write the actual review, but sometimes, it, you know, it, you listen to an album, and you're like, why do I have to dissect this for other people to consume? Let me just say this much, find it, listen to it, and let me know what you think. And then we'll share thoughts and opinions, because sometimes writing about it does the disservice, you know, because you're getting a bias. Yeah. I've written about Populux for years, but their music speaks volumes for itself, you know. Mr. Shapiro is a gifted songwriter. Definitely. There's no question about it. And he writes about human conditions that have been forgotten by most writers because 90% of all writers right now, I will say this, do not know how to write a song. They don't understand the concept therein. They don't understand the meaning of actually putting something of some merit, some thought and melody behind it because he does all of it. He does the entire package. So pay attention to what I'm saying here. Find... Uneasy listening to the new album by Populux and listen to it end to end and talk to me about it. Email me, message me, call me. I don't care. We'll have a nice discussion about it. Rather than me sitting and pontificating you know, the written word and taking songs apart and making comparisons and so on and so forth. I don't want to do that disservice to this piece. I don't want to call it just an album because it is a complete piece.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll tell you, why, why don't we on that front go out with a little bit of it? And uh, unless there is anything else you want to hit for this week, we'll go, sort of leave it at that and uh, and go out with a little bit of of populus from the new one. That sounds fair to me. I mean, you know, in our heads, I got nothing in my head right now. (laughs) Nor do I. It's too early in the year, man. Exactly. Next time around, for sure.
1: It's the January doldrums. And, you know, it's it's funny because now we're into the 16th day already. And in 16 days, we've lost X amount of celebrities. I've turned 58. We've got a new year going. Thank you. Uh, Don't remind me. Um, (laughs) What am I going to say? You know, it's 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 weird, you know, to know that, okay. You're 58 years old, which is not kidding, just around the corner from 60. Yeah. I'm trying very hard to process. 58 is a very weird transitory number, you know? Uh, But I mean, all of that. And then I've got a new job coming up. So
0: there's hope for deliverance. Get it, folks? Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you about that new gig, if and when you can. Maybe on the next episode of uh, Radio City, because I know that's a, it's an exciting time for you, and I just I couldn't be happier for you.
1: Well, thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. And on the, the great news front is if we don't do another show for a couple of weeks, at least we're doing one on our actual around our sixth actual anniversary, which would be February. So, in any event. There will be a, an episode 212 coming up. I mean, there's no question about that, but it'll be an anniversary show. Ha ha. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Rob. Always great talking to you.
1: To you as well, my friend. Good catching up with you. And to everybody listening, again, thank you all very much. Happy and healthy new year to you all, and we will talk to you very soon.